Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I do know we have a lot of people here visiting today, first time in the congregation. Some uh, obviously have been here before, but are visiting from the, the young family, young and Hinker family over here. Um, also, we've got people visiting from little friends. We've got all sorts of people here. Welcome. Let me just spend a quick minute catching you up <laughs> to, to where we are. So we've been going through the book of Revelation this entire year. We started in September. We're going to wrap up a couple of Sundays after Easter, and it just maps out this, this beautiful vision of what John sees, and it's these three sevenfold visions, each one talking about how things are going to be difficult, there will be turmoil from the, the moment that Jesus is ascended into heaven after his death and resurrection to the moment Jesus comes back. That chunk of time is what Revelation is all about. Right? It, is, it is not more complicated than that. Some people do actually make it super more complicated, but that's all it is. It's, it's that amount of time between those two things. And then we finish those. Towards the end, chapters 19, 20, and on are giving kind of an overarching, less detailed picture of stuff stuff that's going on. <laughs> so today's text is talking about this thousand years, and maybe you've heard of this before in, in Revelation. It's that thousand years is the time frame, once again, of when Jesus ascended into heaven, and then when he is going to come back, that amount of time, what's happening during that time. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, this is from Revelation chapter 20. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended." After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, recently um, there was a pretty famous... Um, cable evening news anchor, uh, and they were trying to figure out what is the, the big story for the evening to, to put out for everybody to hear. And he had his producers kind of gathered around, and they're all pitching these ideas. Nothing's really sticking. And then one of the producers says, well, in the Ukraine, there were three Brazilian soldiers who were killed. And the anchor goes, oh my gosh, that's, oh my, I can't believe it. That's, that's tragic, that's horrible. This, this, this is, 
cancel all the other stories. We're going to run this for months. And, and he's just, he sits down. He's got his heads in, head in his hands. And, and the producers are all really impressed. They're thinking, this guy like actually really cares about the people of Brazil. And, and there's something more to this. And he's just, just distraught. And finally, he, he looks up and he says, um, just remind me, how many million is in a Brazilian? Yeah, it's not, not that great of a joke. I, I told it to somebody else, and they said it wasn't going to go well. <laughs> oh, well, I tried. But the first point of the sermon is one Brazilian years, right? One Brazilian years to drive home, to anchor it in your mind that this thousand years isn't a literal thousand years. Um, we have this example in our text in, in a lot of places, uh, all over Scripture for sure. But in Revelation, recall that there is this part of the text where it says the 144,000 in heaven. Well, that's not a literal number of 144,000. We look and we go, well, that's 12, right? The, the 12 uh, Old Testament tribes times the 12 New Testament represented by apostles. So all of the New Testament people, all of the Old Testament people times 10 times 10 times 10, right? So 12 times 12, 10, 10, 10, right? It's this wholeness number. It's this big, complete number of everybody reassuring in our minds that Old Testament, before Jesus came, they were saved by the promise looking forward through the 12 tribes we, New Testament people, are saved through the apostolic message. That is the Bible, right? The scriptures and the church that looks back to the promise that was received. So when we hear the thousand years, don't, don't think of it in terms of a literal thousand years, and this trips some people up to trying to guess when it is Jesus is going to come back. And there have been so many, many uh, mistaken, Jesus is going to return. I mean, it was in the 19th century, the 20th century. The last really sort of big one was 1975. They were just convinced that's when it was going to happen. And every time, I, I just smile and, and laugh and say, that's not how it works. You can't just do biblical math and come out with this amount of time. It's a Brazilian years. It's like when your kids say, uh, I've been on, you know, for our family, it's, they were on the computer for a gajillion hours, right? It's just, they mean a long time. It's like, they mean five minutes, but they mean forever, right? And we even have a, a text that, that I think is perfect in the Psalms that gives us a good picture of this. So I've got this text from Psalm 50. For every beast of the forest is mine, declares the Lord, the cattle on a thousand hills, he doesn't mean like on the thousand and first hill, those are somebody else's cattle. Like these are, these are mine. Those. What he's saying is all living creatures belong to him. And he uses thousand years to just, or thousand hills just to say more than you can see, more than you can imagine. They're all mine. You don't even know how many there are that they're all mine. This is informative to us because it puts the, the concept of time when it comes to God in a whole different category. It's, it's not the sort of thing that we're going to map out. But the time when it comes to God, for things to be accomplished, for his son to return, for all of this to happen, is full. It's perfect. It's 
It's all of the things that need to happen and all of the time that needs to pass is gonna. And then he's gonna come back. And just living with that sort of a mindset kind of helps as as we struggle with timing of things. And let me tell you, there couldn't be a better day to talk about struggling with waiting and timing on things as we have been waiting for so long for this moment to break ground. So what are all of the things that had to happen until we got to this point? The answer is all of the things that had to happen had to happen. And they're more than I even know. Some of it could be that, that leadership and staff, the Lord said, so we, need, we need to get them in the better position, the right place. I mean, I, I can tell you addition of Dan and some of the changes that we've made on staff while waiting for this has been hugely beneficial. We have seen uh, spiritual growth of so many, the, the leadership and, and the vision. All, man, it is, it, it has not been this fun thing to wait for this to happen, but I can tell you it's been, it's been beneficial. It has been blessed. It has been, in a lot of ways, good, and I can acknowledge that and say, I, I didn't want to wait this long. I wanted to break ground years ago. I wanted to get moving on this because that's how I operate. But God's got not, not just this different plan. I think our plan is is spot on, but he knows what else needs to happen that, that I'm not even aware of. And I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like I can give you this exhaustive list of everything that had to happen. And applying that to your life, what needs to happen? What is God going to do that, that should be, needs to be done before you get to that spot that you want to be in? Maybe that's with your, your spouse. You really want to get to this, this place in life, and, and you can see it, you can imagine it, but man, there's a lot of stuff that's got to happen that you got to go through, and you're not even aware of what all it is. Or that, that thing that you're, you're hoping for, the plan or the dream that you believe God has in store for you, well, I tell you what, if, if it is grand, if it is beautiful, if it is amazing, and it's not right there on your horizon, then you ain't ready yet. And God is still going to do work on you, on your life, on your circumstances, to map things out till things are just right. And if it is his will, he will deliver it. I mean, I have been waiting for years and years and years for this, Sandy has been waiting 20-ish years knowing that this could be such a powerful thing as she has witnessed countless teachers coming through and, and so many families being blessed. She's waited and waited and waited, but time wasn't right. So here we are as a church, and the time is right. And how do we know? Because he's delivering it. What about you? Is it the right time for something in your life? And, and I want to give you a couple of uh, thoughts on how to know. First, dismiss the idea that if it's the right time to do this thing, to step out in faith, or is it the right time where I, I get more active involved in living faith? Is it the right time to, to step out and do this thing or leave my job? Whatever it is, 
if, if you're considering these things and you go, maybe it's not the right time because I'm afraid, <laughs> that ain't it. I'm terrified. <laughs> Don't ever think that I'm, I'm this courageous, no fear. That's not how it works, right? I, I see the, the weight of it, the responsibility that we're all taking on. I see how, how profound this is. And then I look at myself and go, I don't know if I am the guy, but here I am. And here we are. So clearly the Lord knows something I don't know inside of this fullness of time, how I've been prepared and made ready for this moment that I don't even see. Maybe you need to have that conversation with somebody that you don't want to have. Maybe you need to confront something of yourself and, and wrestle with this, this reality of, of something in your past, a, a traumatic childhood or, or history, whatever it is. got to wrestle with who I am right now, and I know the Lord is calling me to something different, but it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. I don't know if I'm ready, if the moment is calling for it. Meaning if the things around you have been set, if you identify the people in your life and their openness to you taking these steps in faith, whatever they might be, the time is now. The Lord does this work by sort of removing the obstacles, taking away those things that keep getting in the way of yourself. And sometimes that is the people around you growing and maturing and being in a position where, where you can make a similar step of growth in your faith. And maybe it seems like you've been waiting forever for this moment. And if it's here, then it's here. Maybe, maybe you have tried to step out and forward in faith. And you've bumped up against something again and again. And there has been resistance from the people around you. There has been hesitation in the organizations around you. That The time didn't seem right at work or wherever. Then the time might not be right now. But I can tell you this. God never punishes the mistakes we make when we make them in faith. He doesn't discipline us for our for our lazy, stupid, misguided steps in faith. If he did, I would have been punished to death decades ago. <laughs> but instead, I make the mistakes, I bump into things, and I go, well, let me try that again a different way. He's not going to punish you for, for trying not going to punish you for being bold in your faith. He's not going to punish you for speaking to somebody next to you who needs to hear about Jesus in, in the cubicle next to you at work. He's not going to punish you for making the attempt. He's also not going to punish you for not. But it's sort of like a self-punishment. That's the thing, is, is when you don't step in faith, when you don't reach out, when you don't do those things that are bold, when you don't try these things, then you sit and you are tortured with your own mind of what if? What if I would have? 
I wish I'd have said something. I wish I would have spoken to that person. I wish I would have asked them. I wish I would have. Man, things could have been different. Imagine how things could have been different. You, you torture yourself. The Lord is good with you, right? The Lord has made peace with you through his son Jesus on the cross. He said, we're good. You're saved. You keep doing this to you. <laughs> you should stop that. God isn't torturing you. Where you feel tortured, that's not God doing it. Where you feel resistance and, and you're pushing against something, it's not because God is disappointed in you and angry at you. It's because you're not ready and you're not ready because of you. And it brings us to this point that I love in our text this morning, the binding of Satan. When we read that, we think to ourselves, really? <laughs> Satan is bound? We look around the world and we go, is he really bound? Because there's so many bad things. There's so much evil. Look at Ukraine. Look at this and that and all of these things. All of that. We go, is, it real? is it true that Satan is bound? The answer is yes. And imagine if he wasn't, how much worse it would be. I know it, it's still in your head, like, I, th I think the devil's at work in this world. I'm not saying he's not somewhat at work in this world, but let's take a look at a, a several texts here to understand Matthew 12. Jesus is talking about this. He says, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, this is what he was accused of, that he was casting out demons because he was a demon, he says, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house, this is the devil, plunder his goods, this is us, right? Plunder is, in other words, stealing us away from the devil unless he first binds the strong man, binds Satan. Then indeed he may plunder his house. I've got another one up here from Second Peter. Peter says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, those are the demons, but he cast them into hell, committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, to be kept until the judgment. The demons are bound. We've got one more that I want to deal with really quick. And that is from Jude chapter 6, or Jude verse 6. There's only one chapter. The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, those who rebelled like Satan, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the, the judgment of the great day. So, as Dan said earlier, it turns out, the devil didn't make you do it. And we look around at the world and we go, this world is, is just, there's so much evil in it. There's so much bad thing. That's from us. That's how sinful we are. That's how sinful people are. That's how broken human beings are. Now, I'm not saying that there are, are different times when there's demonic forces or the devil influencing and doing things, but it's different than it used to be. The way it used to be was, was they had much more influence and much more control and, and were much more active in people's lives. Now I, I describe it like it's that dog, that angry rabid dog that's been beat up and underfed and all of that, but it's on a 20-foot chain, right? And, it, and if you're standing 21 feet away, <laughs> you're good. If you take a step to your right, you've made a mistake. And now the dog that is bound with the chain can bite you. Right? So 
<laughs> the reason why I bring this to your attention is because the problem with you is you. The problem with you is a sin problem in your life. You don't get to give that to somebody else. You don't get to hand that to somebody else. Now, I know there's been people in your life who have done sinful things to you that have caused certain feelings that, that maybe have changed your outlook on life, that have jaded you, or all sorts of things like that. That, that isn't you. That's them. That's their sin. But now, who are you? How are you going to respond? And how are you going to deal with this? That is you. And that is the problem of sin that we all have to deal with, each and every one of us. There isn't an okay person on this planet who just grew up without anybody sinning against them and them sinning against anybody else and just has their whole life in order. Everything's figured out. I'm good. <laughs> it just doesn't exist. But this is why the community of believers does exist. We gather together to be honest with each other and say, turns out my life is just as much of a wreck as yours. I'm insecure in similar ways as you, but you, but you have such a great job. You're so well-educated. You're, you're just doing so well in life. Yeah, but I'm always afraid that other people are disappointed in me. And that is just as real as, as any other sinful feeling that you have in your life. We're all in the same boat. And Jesus has one more word to say on this. One more scripture up here from John chapter 12. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world, that strong man that he's binding up, Satan and all of his minions, be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus says he is breaking that bondage, and if you're living in the bondage of sin, it's, it's in your head and it's in your heart, not according to Jesus. If you were bound to Satan, if you were bound to the demons, if, if sin was the master of your life, you would be with the devil and the demons in hell, and you're not. You are lying to yourself whenever you think that, that this sin of my life or this brokenness in my life can't be overcome. That's you, not God. God has said, I will put my son on the cross to deal with this, break the chains that are holding people down, cast the chain givers into hell, draw people to me, and then by faith in his death and resurrection, he is going to raise us all from the dead. And here we have this other beautiful bit in our text that says, first... <laughs> The first resurrection? Did you guys catch that? This is from Revelation 20, 4b going on to 5. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Hold on. Why is that interesting? My actual favorite joke that I was going to tell, but I won't. <laughs> I love... In a, in a crowd of people I've not met before, when I'm introduced, I love to introduce Joni as my first wife. 
<laughs> Why is that funny? Because <laughs> it insinuates there could be a second. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, that's, it's a joke. But if you say first resurrection, that insinuates there's a second resurrection. This first resurrection is the spiritual resurrection. Jesus says he will draw us all to him. This is a first spiritual resurrection. It is fully manifest when we die and we go to be with him in heaven. That is the first resurrection. If you know somebody who believed in Jesus and died, they have experienced the first resurrection. But the first resurrection starts when we believe. Piper has begun her first resurrection today. When you first believed and were drawn to the cross, that was your beginning of your first resurrection, meaning you're living it right now, meaning at this very moment, you have this spiritual awakening where you can see how sin wants to bind you, how Satan would love for you to find yourself wrapped up in sin, how Satan would love for you to doubt yourself, to lie to yourself, to, to have these insecurities. Satan would love all of those things. It's too bad he can't put it on you. He's counting on you, keeping it on yourself. But Jesus says, just keep walking towards me. Just keep moving my direction. In baptism, before she can even crawl and walk, Piper is moving in that direction, and the chains of sin have come off. And as she continues to grow in faith, like each and every one of us, we, as we move forward, as we grow in faith, rejoice we become more and more free. And the ultimate freedom is found in forgiveness. You have been forgiven of all of your sin. Now forgive somebody else. You have been forgiven perfectly by God because of your faith in Jesus. Washed in the waters of baptism, you trust in him. He died and was raised. So too, spiritually, you've been washed and killed and raised up already to that last day. But you too, on the very last day, will be raised up physically at the second resurrection. But until then, live in a resurrected way. Live a resurrected life. Live a spiritual life that, that is caught up in the knowledge that sin does not have to control me. I do not need to put myself under these chains. I don't need to lie to myself anymore. It doesn't matter what I think about myself. It doesn't matter what others assume of me because God has declared me righteous, because God has made me holy, because God has forgiven me. And so even when someone else lies to me, about me, even when somebody else hurts me and harms me, it doesn't make it real. And so I can forgive. And when I lie to myself and say that I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I am not a good enough pastor to serve these people, I can tell you that. I have that feeling all the time. I am not a good enough leader for this project. I, I am not well-versed enough in any of this stuff that I should be to be the pastor of this church. I tell myself those lies all the time. And they're lies because it isn't based on how good I am at anything. This calling for me to lead this, to be your pastor, your calling for your life isn't based 
on you. <laughs> it's based on God, his promise, his word, his plan, his timing. And you are just invited to keep moving forward. And when the time is right, as you go towards that cross, you'll discover, whew, look at that. Look at what God has accomplished among us. Amen. May the peace which surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We're going to have the kiddos come back in if they are ready. Find their parents in this new crazy seating. You're welcome for that, by the way. Moving your seat. Good news is nobody sat in your seat this morning. Bad news is you don't have a seat this morning. All right, let's bow our heads and pray, and then we'll close with our benediction. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of your timing. Though it seems to us like it can take a Brazilian years, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would show to us how you are preparing us, how you are guiding us, how you are leading us, how you are preparing things that we don't even know about so that your plan so that your vision and design for us and our lives and this world can come to fruition. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I invite you to stand to receive the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.